Good evening from the bowels of the Horror Press estate, and welcome to a new episode of the Horror Press Podcast, a podcast brought to you by HorrorPress.com. My name is James Michael, and I am the curator of all things Horror Press. As always, this show aims to bring you the latest horror news you may have missed or overlooked, a place to quickly cover the happenings of the horror world, whether that's studio announcements, movie releases, or box office numbers, as well as some light genre discussion. I'm joined today by the mistress of depravity herself. You may know her for bite-sized movie reviews on Instagram, none other than Ellie Bad Critic. Welcome. I feel like this has been a long time coming. I've followed you on Instagram for quite a while now, and I've grown to love your takes. How are you doing today? I'm doing very good. That was so kind. Such lovely, uh, such a lovely moniker. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> well, after I heard Brooker from Autopsy of a Horror Movie refer to you as depraved, I mean, how is it that I'm not going to refer to you as the mistress of depravity? I, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I just I just like to write about uh, movies that really get into me, and so um, and some of them are depraved. So uh, I, I I can't I can't debate it. You know. Well, speaking of your Instagram account, I think um, it's been about two years since you've started it, mm-hmm. and the first movie you reviewed on there was The Sound of Metal. Um, after two years, like what have been your standouts? You know, what have been your favorites? Oh, well, my favorites usually don't get a lot of engagement, but I mean, one of my favorite ones that I wrote about was Sorry to Bother You, um, which is uh, Boots Riley's, like, opus with, uh, like, Keith Stanfield, Um, and, like, some collaborative stuff I've done, too. I don't know, I'm just, like, so happy to, like, be able to talk about smaller movies, big movies. Sometimes I do longer form content, like about The Shining or Suspiria. So it's all about uh, appreciating uh, what we have. Okay, so for this episode of the podcast, we have a shit ton of things to cover. Um, And we're going to try to keep it as brief as possible, but I don't know if that's going to be possible. Let's start off with Scream 6 having the longest runtime of any of the Scream movies in the franchise and also getting a special fan event where there'll be a 3D screening as well as a special edition poster. I mean, I think the Scream franchise knows exactly how to service their fans and uh, the hype around this movie has been nonstop. So I know I'm so fearful for Gail. And I'm also very fearful for this 3D release because what can they possibly do with 3D? Um, I'm unfortunately probably going to see it in 3D at least once just for the fan event because of the poster. Um, But I have a pretty hard line of if it wasn't filmed specifically to be in 3D, it's probably going to be bad 3D. Well, I'm like already very reticent of like 3D, like it just, my eyes don't work that way. So um, I would probably, I, I, I don't know, I guess if I was a mega fan, I'd be, I'd be there for sure. But but also why? Like I felt the whole 3D trend was over. Remember everything was in 3D some random year. We had the 3DS on Nintendo, mm-hmm. the last Airbender in 3D, the, so um, many. I think Final Destination 5 was in 3D, which was like... Missed opportunity for the, um, but, uh, yeah, Scream 6, I'm I'm kind of excited for it. I I feel like 
I don't know. It seems like they, they know what the fans want. And, uh, and it's cool that they're like setting it in a new place this time around. So yeah, new definitely. opportunities. It's so yeah. cool to see it in New York. But also, like, the runtime, it's over two hours. I-, I don't think it's over two hours by much, but what do you think is with this trend of movies being so long these days? Like, I know there's a lot of people that complain anything over 90 minutes is too long. There's people that are like, you can watch 10 episodes of a Netflix series, but you can't watch a two-hour movie. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, you have to earn that runtime. If you're going to be a slasher movie, you have to really earn that runtime. So, you know... Maybe it's worth it. Uh, yeah. Maybe they've got a good plot with some good kills. And then I'd be down to watch it for two hours. So. Yeah. If it's yeah. a tight two hours, I'll be happy. But if it's a fluff-filled yeah. two hours, I, I'm i probably going to be annoyed. I mean, I'm, I'm still going to watch it and probably enjoy it at least one time. But if Same. it's overly fluffy. No, I mean, just you. don't cut away from the kills, please. Oh. <laughs> I actually just watched Scream 5 and I really enjoyed it. It was fun. I had a yeah. great time. Yeah. But I'm also not like a diehard Scream fan, so I I I I remove myself from that uh, from that discourse. I mean, I I consider myself a pretty decent Scream fan. It was probably one of the first horror movies I saw in a theater. Mm. So it it's like a very special very movie nostalgic. to me. Yeah. Um but I know if I came out with my Scream opinions, I would get roasted. Like, I really <laughs> love Scream 4 with Emma Roberts, and a lot of people hate that one. I love Scream 4. I think it's coming back. I think people are coming around. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. coming back in style. Yeah. History's being kind to it. I'm like, I'm not mad about this franchise continuing, so. Yeah. So, on the topic of Scream, mm-hmm. how could we not mention I Know What You Did Last Summer getting a sequel? And having Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr. attached to the project. Whatever Scream does, I know what you do. I know what you did last summer. Will follow. So of course, because they're biters. They'd be, <laughs> they'd be remiss not to, uh, not to try and like jump on that bandwagon a little bit. It's so weird to me because Scream and I know you did last summer have like such a nostalgic place in my heart. I'm pretty sure I know what you did last summer. I have such a like strong memory of renting that movie putting it on and my dad walking into the room and being like what are you watching (laughs) and i was like i don't know dad but what is he wearing and he was like that's called a slicker suit and okay (laughs) i was like what the hell is that because it was something so weird like this man with a hook running Mm -hmm. around in like a big raincoat Mm -hmm. like no one could hear him coming apparently like in that big bulky (laughs) raincoat um yeah i know you did last summer my mem my first memory of that movie was trying to rent it at the video store and i didn't have my id with me this is how old i am i didn't have my id with me so um the guy wouldn't let me rent it because i couldn't prove that i was over 16 and i never forgave him (laughs) wow i don't think my blockbuster even cared about that it wasn't even a it wasn't a chain it was just like the local the local video store guy and he's like i know i know your mom like i can't get in trouble with her like (laughs) <laughs> it's so weird that we're getting this movie now yeah. and I'm pretty sure it was on Amazon Prime that we got like a series on I Know Eat the Last Summer That's true. that I no one about talked that. about. It was completely overlooked. I mean, Prime is so shit at like advertising their stuff, honestly. So I feel like streamers in general, maybe not Shudder, but like Netflix, it's like the Wild Wild West. Like if you don't get word of mouth, you're doomed. Sh- Shudder, I mean, I mean, sorry, not Shudder. Um... Netflix 
puts money sometimes behind their stuff, but I feel like Prime is just like they're just confused. I think they forget it exists even sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, anyway. I do. I have to check out that series. I wonder what they do with it. I'm like, I'm just excited for Jennifer Love Hewitt to be back. I loved her. I have so many memories attached to her. Yeah. Wasn't she in like a TV series where she was a medium or something? She was in a TV series. I think, yes, she was a medium. There was also one where she was like a sex worker massage therapist. That was like very short lived. She disappeared. I'm like, I want her back. I want her back. <laughs> she was a... a- um, like a masseuse she was like hard on her money and then she started working at like a massage therapy that like gave happy endings or a massage wow. show, um, center that gave happy endings and it was all like quirky and funny but it was like all on network tv so it was very like it didn't last obviously wow well i mean like <laughs> it, it, it maybe it was good i haven't seen it i find that a lot of network tv is is wonky like we don't deserve half the things that come out on it, like Scream Queens or mm-hmm. The Bee in Apartment 23. Like, I'm still salty that show ended. Yes. I loved that they show. Did not, they did not understand it. So our next bit of discussion is Knock at the Cabin. Um, this movie has been very divisive. I don't know if it's as divisive as like Skinnamarink or The Outwaters, but uh, <laughs> a lot of people, especially the readers of the story, are not really enjoying the ending. I haven't seen it yet. Um, have you seen it? I wa- yeah, I watched it last week because I'm not a fan of M. Night Shyamalan, but I'm just fascinated, absolutely fascinated by his movies and how they are both good and terrible. It's, I can't, it, it kind of breaks my brain every time I see one of them, so... I feel like I'm a Shyamalan fan in general, but then I I go down the list and I'm like, ugh, ugh, mm, maybe not. I mean, I loved, I, I shouted it out on Twitter too, but I loved uh, the article that you ran that Lewis wrote about how like, it's fine. Everything he does is fine. And I feel like that's a great, that's essentially what this movie is. And I feel like the thing with Shyamalan is like, his movies always shy away from being very dark, even though the subject and the premise is very dark. And he always has to like kind of make it better at the end. And there's always this like face faith based through line that um, kind of beca- makes everything very convenient and like feel goody, I guess I could say. Um, in a way that I feel like cheapens the horror of it. So I don't know. I guess it's it's like the it's like a not scary scary movie. I'm still kind of bitter over what movie was it? The Village. Yes. But there's a part of me that that thinks that Shyamalan's failures aren't his fault. It's just he has the sheer weight of the sixth sense that really just, you know, how do you live up to that? I like, mean, that moment is built into pop culture for forever. Here's my take. You will never live up to it. So why do you keep trying? Like, True. Do something different. Subvert it. Like just try and tell a good story. No one cares about a twist. But I think I think there's a lot of ego going on behind it. Like I saw him talking about um, the lady in the water, and he referred to it as a jazz movie that like people have like a like a religious experience watching. And I was like, bro, come on. No one liked that movie. That's the only really, movie that he lost money. Referred to it as a jazz movie. Yes. Wow. Yes. It's a very egotistical movie, too. It's like, I think there's a lot of ego that goes on behind it where 
I think he's kind of the kind of uh, writer director who thinks he's much more clever than he actually is. Sorry if that sounds kind of catty. No, um, it's warranted yeah. though. I mean, I saw. I think the last movie of his that I saw, not counting his like weird superhero movies, was <laughs> The Visit. And I, I kind of really liked it. I thought it was fun. Yeah. We have an article coming out soon in March. Um, Ooh, teaser. That really goes into, I guess, like the problematic parts of the visit. Yeah. And I, and I, I didn't like, I mean, Split, obviously, great acting, but I don't like using DID as like a horror uh, trope. So that whole movie I just found offensive, even though I, you know, the construction was quite good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a little cringe once you start mm-hmm. doing that, but um, I enjoyed the visit. I'm probably going to see this movie eventually, Knock of the Cabin. Um, I just wasn't in any rush to see it. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I did go see it. So. <laughs> <laughs> did you read the book? No, but um, if you, I don't know if you guys know the uh, YouTube channel Amanda the Jedi, but she does a lot of content reviews where she'll compare the book and the movie or the book and the tv show so she put out a great video comparing the two and talking about where both succeeded and both kind of like fall off so nice yeah i'll definitely check that out for sure our next topic i know you're going to be super excited to talk about this <laughs> It's Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, <laughs> coming out in theaters Wednesday, the 15th. Yeah. And um, it already has a sequel in the works. I was, you sent me this this uh, line item and I was so confused. I thought I just missed, I thought I'd missed entirely the, the initial release. Because so I was like, well, I didn't hear anybody talking about it since the trailer came out. But no, it hasn't even come out yet. So I guess, I guess there's something there. I'm kind of excited. There are very few trailers that will light the horror press discord on fire the way that Winnie the Pooh, Meg, I mean Megan, and I think Amityville in space. Mm. Those three were just insane for us. (laughs) It's like, what the hell? Winnie the Pooh. I mean, it's doing very well. I, I know. I think it released in Mexico a little while back already. And... I think it's made quite a bit of money already. And this is this seems like it's going to make like a whole new set of Disney horror films. I mean, I don't think they spend a lot of money making this movie, so <laughs> I mean, I hope they I hope they I hope they do I hope they make a shit ton of money. <laughs> you might as well. If you're going to come out with a Winnie the Pooh horror movie, I hope you fucking make bank, like, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I I still don't have any idea what this movie is about other than... No fucking There's point. a killer Winnie the Pooh and a piglet. Um, But are they actually supposed to be, like, beings? Or are they people in masks? Or... It's like... It was like Christopher Robin has abandoned his childhood friends and now they're mad at him or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe we deserve this. I don't know. Maybe you need to do a live react to it. Uh, I mean, I, I I would try it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I think it looks fun as long as you turn off your brain while watching it. I'm very good at doing that. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> 
And, like, I guess if, I mean, if there's a bunch of, like, IP that Disney hasn't, uh, hasn't, like, maintained, then, like, hell yeah, let's fuck up our childhoods. Yeah. Well, the next big one is Mickey Mouse, I'm pretty sure. Mickey Mouse. I don't Mouse. think they'll ever let the IP Mickey Mouse expire. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Have you seen that weird, like, indie movie that was filmed entirely in Disney World in black and white? Oh, the Escape from Yeah, Tomorrowland. from Tomorrowland, yeah. Uh, no, I watched a couple people reviewing it and I was like, I don't want to watch this at all. I haven't seen it yet, but I've been meaning to. I'm sure. I don't know. I would love to hear what you think. I mean, I, I'm probably going to get murdered for this, but I'm pretty hardcore Disney person. (laughs) (laughs) I I love Disney. And, um, but I also love. I don't think you're alone. I also really love like playing with it all though so i'd probably be down like i think it's fun so also we got to see blumhouse announce after people complaining and asking constantly when will we get five nights at freddy's finally have announced that they started work on this title okay i don't know anything about five nights at freddy's so tell me what am i in store for so five nights at freddy's is this old game where basically do you have chuck e cheese in canada no but i've heard so much about chuck e cheese i wish we did okay so it's kind of like this weird place with arcade games and there's these animatronic like animals that sing and play instruments and stuff like that and you know kids go to have their birthday parties there so at nighttime the whole purpose of the game is you're the security guard who's just running surveillance but the animatronic animals tend to like come alive at night so you're manning the cameras and you have to shut the doors before they get to you so it's a lot of jump scares it's really scary (laughs) it's a lot of fun um and i'm really curious to see how they're going to turn this into a movie like what was that movie where i think it was ben stiller in the museum oh night of the museum yeah night of the museum but horror maybe movies yeah um i'm i mean i'm down for that blumhouse king of jump scares um so i think it sounds like it fits right in with his uh, wheelhouse yeah i i'm definitely in for it i i just wonder like are they going to bring the same animatronic characters from the series or are they going to make their own and make them scarier i hope they keep the whole like Chuck E. cheese vibe with the thing oh i'm so down for that i would i would love I've seen, like, photos. I don't know if you know who Jamie Loftus is. She's, like, a comedian, kind of, like, an absurdist stand-up comedian in L.A. Um, And she, like, went on this whole, um, like, journey to, like, acquire, uh, (laughs) like, old Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. Like, the actual ones. Why would you want that in your house? (laughs) Listen, she's a special queen. (laughs) And we stand her. (laughs) I wonder how much that would even go for. 
I th- it was like it was very uh, complicated. Cause she she I think it was uh, Chuck E. Cheese guitar, one of the animals' guitars, and she was very disappointed that it wasn't actually like a functioning guitar when she finally got it. So by me, we have this abandoned theater, but in the same parking lot as the theater, there was this place called Razmataz, mm-hmm. which was. I don't know if it was the OG Chuck E. Cheese or if it was a bootleg Chuck E. Cheese, but instead of the main character being a mouse that likes cheese pizza, we had a fox. And I would love to see that fucking fox again. Like, (laughs) he would probably be so scary looking. There's something so creepy about, like, these childhood, like, figures, designs. They're always um, designed to be so... Um, over the top happy and there's to me too much happiness is inherently creepy of like what is wrong with you what are you hiding you know there's <laughs> you can't be happy like that all the time so there's something so inherently creepy about like these childhood um or these these um characters designed for children so i'm 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 excited to see it in a horror context because to me it's like oh, i knew something was like hiding behind that <laughs> smile <laughs> something so sinister <laughs> so the next bit of news we have is that guillermo del toro is going to be doing an adaptation of frankenstein for netflix and it's going to be starring andrew garfield and oscar isaac i'm kind of excited i don't know if they're gonna do like a weird take on this or if they're gonna be true to the story or if they're mm-hmm. if, if he's gonna do whatever he wants to do i'm really excited to see what he does with this um del toro um has long has he's talked very often about how much he loves frankenstein his whole philosophy of like designing monsters is the idea that like you design a monster when it's at rest first um because the scary part is like when they're scared or angry or whatever so in order to understand what that looks like you have to understand what the opposite looks like and that's such a great approach to talking about frankenstein too because the whole purpose of frankenstein is who is the real monster in the story right yeah um and both actors are great um i love seeing oscar isaac do i'll watch anything he does so um, and, and also Del Toro's The Cabinet of Curiosities that came out last year had some incredible uh, works in it. So I'm excited. I'm, 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 I'll be there for him. It's kind of weird to see Guillermo Del Toro churn out so much for Netflix. Like, is he the Mike Flanagan replacement? Like, now that <laughs> Flanagan has left? Like, are they banking on him? I mean, I mean, he's an iconic horror director. I feel like he kind of struggled after he got um, was attached and then had to leave The Hobbit. Um, I feel like he struggled to like find a new home to like make his work. So if Netflix is letting him do that, I, good for him, you know. Yeah, maybe we'll get a new Hellboy on Netflix. Ooh, that would be a blast! I would love that. You're a fan of Hellboy. I love the first one. Yeah, I, loved, it, I, I love the design of the of the creatures too. Like I love the Hellboy design. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be surprised for them not to do something like that if they're if if they're working with him the way that I think that they are. But <laughs> I'm just assuming. Well, as long as he's happy, he's someone like I don't I don't I don't 
love all of his movies, um, obviously, but, like, I just, like, want him as a person to be, like, very happy and supportive. Yeah. I care about him so much. (laughs) Okay, so the next bit of news that we have is James Gunn has announced that they are making a Swamp Thing movie, and I'm not sure if this is just going to open the doors to maybe some superhero-themed horror movies, Um, but I know DC has quite a bit that they can pull from in the horror department that we haven't seen yet, and um, the Swamp Thing is definitely, like, hopefully a sign of things to come, hopefully. I, I... Again, like you, you sent me this line item, and I was like, it got me really thinking about how little horror is present in both DC and Marvel. It's like very focused on action and drama, but they really don't dive into horror. And I'm not sure if that's just like a Disney thing or they're trying to like a mass market thing. But in the last few years, horror has become such a money maker. I feel like they're really missing out by not um, dipping their toes into that. So hopefully with James Gunn behind the... He's a horror nerd, right? Like, I'm pretty sure he's a horror fan. Yeah. I hope that... um, I mean, it would be a smart thing for them for this franchise. I mean, DC's having a hard time lately, so... It's so weird because I don't know if you're, like, a superhero person, but I personally... I love DC, but I love mm. their animated stuff. Their mm. their movies, like their live action movies, seem to like miss the mark for me. <laughs> Whereas Marvel somehow nails the live action stuff. I don't mm. know if it's because the DC characters are just so godlike mm. that it's it's hard to take you know seriously. Um, and Marvel characters are much more human. Mm. Uh, but I love the DC animated stuff and it's just the live action stuff just feels weird to me. It doesn't feel right. I think like D- Marvel did a smart thing by like really building their own studio, creating everything in house. So it's kind of safe from like outsider interference, which I guess could also end up being a bad thing. But um, DC's had such a hard time with like shifts in priorities and, um, and like you said, like they're kind of, very godlike characters it's hard to relate to them and Zack Snyder um I mean you can cut this out if you want but Zack Snyder is like a little on the like fascist side with his like interpretation of like how superheroes go so well Superman yeah yeah (laughs) Superman and Batman too yeah like they're um, they're archetypes almost yeah um but also like I think both franchises like there's so much CGI and they're just pumping them out. Like I I watch them because I think th- I watch them once they come out at home. It's a fun thing to turn your brain off to. Um, I'm not a comic book person at all, so I'm just like there for the show. But I wish that there was more, you know, a little more craft that went into making something relatable. You know, not just like people like zooming through the sky to like get a you know a some like blue beam of death to like stop blowing up the world or whatever. It's you know? weird too. When you see how they're made, mm-hmm. there's so little soul. I don't know. You, you watch yeah, it, it and all, it's like it's one green big screen. green screen. Yeah. There, there isn't even anything around them. It's all green. I know. And it must not be fun. I mean, I can't imagine that's a fun thing to act either. You know, like 
you don't have, you're not interacting with anything. It's just all, I don't know. I don't know, man. So I'm excited. Horror, you know, horror is personal. Horror has to like, you know, you have to construct it in a way that works against your expectations. And so it takes a lot of craft to make something scary. So, um, I hope the best for them. I hope they dip their toes in it. Cause maybe I'll be, maybe I'll start, you know, paying money to see DC stuff. <laughs> well, did you check out, um, the Marvel, Marvel show? Um, not the show, the movie werewolf by night that was on Disney plus that came out. I, I'm, um, I missed it when it came out, but I I should go back and watch it because I saw like a lot of buzz about like ooh starting to do horror stuff. Yeah, it it was fun. It was cool. Mm-hmm. It was it was really nice to see Disney put out yeah. something that was a little unsafe, a little edgy, mm-hmm. and pull from Marvel's you know horror catalog. Yeah, I mean, it, it sells. Why wouldn't they? That's exactly that was exactly my my point when you first like brought this up, which is like it's weird. There's all these headlines about how like these movies are not doing as well as they anticipate at the box office, which doesn't mean they're not making money. But um, I'm like, why aren't you why aren't you diving into horror? Like, it's a it's a built in fan base, you know. For the most important part, as the resident mistress of depravity, <laughs> I feel like this is going to be very close to home for you. Yeah. Especially considering um, that we've talked before about French extremity. Did you see that Irreversible, is, well, just went back to theaters for its 20-ish anniversary of Irreversible? I did. Um, and it's coming out with a new cut where it's just straight through. I did, Have you seen Irreversible? I did see this. I have seen Irreversible. Um, I have a lot of mixed thoughts about this movie in general and then also having a straight cut. Um, like, So my experience with Irreversible is it came out in 2002 and that's right about the time that I entered um, college to study film. And the atmosphere if any listeners have been in any kind of like film school environment the atmosphere is very focused on like or back then it was very focused on auteur theory and um there's kind of this like one-upmanship of like how hardcore and how depraved can you be um and, like, it's an endurance test of, like, what you can sit through. Like, um, Requiem for a Dream had come out a few years earlier, so, like, Darren Aronofsky was very big. Uh, Tarantino came out with Kill Bill, so, you know, everyone was, like, raving about that. And Irreversible was one of those movies that, would like, people would whisper about, like, have you seen? Can you, can you believe this was what was on screen? And this movie, I haven't seen it in years, um... Okay, so this whole movie is, like, centered around this, like, nine-minute rape scene that is 
probably the most brutal thing I've ever watched. And the way the movie is structured is that the end, the end, last scene of the narrative is the first scene that you see, and it's a lot of long takes without cuts. So um, this infamous scene takes place in the middle of the movie, and so you spend half the movie learning about the aftermath, and then this scene occurs, and then the, ne- the last half of the movie is what led up to that point. Um, but I think what people don't talk about with this movie is it starts with incredibly violent acts of homophobia and gay bashing and trans bashing. And I think it bothers me that people don't address that part of this story and how it, and, and how that was seen as like an acceptable response to like a woman being raped is for, um, her partner to go out and basically murder some gay people. I think I appreciate a lot of new extreme or a lot of French extremity movies. I like stuff that's really fucked up. Brucker even named me Mistress of Depraved. <laughs> um, but I will always draw the line at like the way that um, homophobia and queerphobia just kind of like get sneaked in as like a response to trauma. Um, And that's kind of the other part of how I feel about this movie is that it's framed as additionally tragic that this happens to this woman as how the men feel about it. You never learn how she feels about it. And it's also framed as tragic because, well, spoiler for the ending, but it reveals that she's pregnant um and so the the trauma of this rape is framed only as tragedy for other people and not for her and i'm just not down with it so when people talk about this movie as like kind of like this endurance test i'm fine with difficult movies i don't like the framing of this and so to put it as like a straight cut i guess sure fine um, I'm just not really sure. I'm, I, it feels kind of like, honestly, feels kind of like a money grab and, uh, and I don't see the purpose of it. Do you think I, you haven't seen the straight cut yet, no. but do you think it loses its potency being rearranged in such a way? Like in the article that Janika just posted, um, she does address like how problematic it is and mm. how homophobic and transphobic it is. Yeah. Um, but she still basically says that it's just as potent in a different way. Absolutely, because it starts so intense. Like the opening, the opening sequence. It's hard even to say scene because as you each segment is like you is like one shot or appears to be one shot or these very long takes. Um, it's literally like him, like beating someone's face in. So um, the inverse of this is like. A, a continuous ramp up as opposed to a ramp down, which is what happens in the uh, original cut. Um, I so. didn't get to see this at the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. Yeah. Um, they did have other French extremity films there that I did get to see. Right. I, I can only imagine how strange it must feel to see a movie like this in a group setting. I would never want that. I mean, I I got to see um, Basse-Moi. Yeah. Um, which is, I guess, very tame compared to this, but it was still 
very uncomfortable to be sitting next to, you know, other people, like yeah. men and women. And, you know, we all know we're there because we want to be there. Like, yeah. what kind of freaks are we? But also, it, it, it was very uncomfortable. You're like, I guess suddenly you're like seen as being like everyone can see your freakness a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I guess like maybe people felt that way back in the day when they'd go to like porn theaters. For sure. Yeah. Um, but I know when they filmed, when they shared this particular movie, they stopped serving alcohol. Mm. Um, and there was like a whole discussion beforehand. Um, I kind of wish I was a part of that seeing this movie. Um, mm. but I don't know. Like Face Mall for me was probably already too much personally. Yeah. Um, I know we've discussed quite a bit of French extremity yeah. over the past year, like martyrs, I think high tension as well. Yeah. Um, but this sounds like it's on a completely different level. I think, so my take with, I will always defend the right to exist for French extremity as a concept to exist. I feel like you should, there's no topic that should be off limits to talk about, but if you're going to talk about it, I'm going to critique it. So that doesn't mean that I have to like yeah. it. Um, so like, I'll never make the argument of like something like this shouldn't exist. Cause it's like, well, Gaspar Noé is a very competent filmmaker. He's a very, uh, a very, um, Oh, what's the word? Like intense, um and intent his films are always a very intense experience um so like it's not an incompetently made film i just think that it's a very early aughts framing of what sexual assault looks like what masculinity looks like what um women are you know who who women's bodies belong to i think it's very um i, I yeah i uh, i have issues i did it. some digging on this movie um and I, I found it interesting that his response to, do you feel this is homophobic, was, I personally am not homophobic. I was in La Recta masturbating myself yeah. with, with the fellow gays. I feel like that's just, <laughs> there you go. That's what you need to, like, that's like, the kind that of was new, his answer. That's the kind of nuanced take, right? Where it's like, I feel like I don't really trust you to, like, understand the nuance of, like, what your nuance of what you're portraying. I mean, and not even considering the damage people will take away from seeing this and just like you know it's fine to portray someone being homophobic on screen but like the movie i feel like it's kind of like you well obviously he would act this way after such a horrific thing occurs to this woman that he loves and it's like no no not at all that's not how anything works so i i think it just uh you know there's some directors that I'm just like, I just don't trust you to tell this kind of story. And this is a movie that, like, I'm not going to write about it for my for my page, that's for sure. Yeah. I, for some reason, I really enjoy French Extremity, but I don't think it's for the horror itself. I love the drama. Like, there's yeah. drama, there's dialogue, there's, there's stuff that happens that you don't see in normal horror movies. Like... I got to see Calvair, which was a rewatch for me. I mm. saw it years ago. And, like, the interactions between the people just feel so different. It's it's a drama that has horrific elements. Yeah. That I'm really drawn to. I mean, I appreciate the nihilism. I think there's, like, most movies avoid addressing nihilism and leaning into the nihilism. And so that I appreciate the genre 
for that alone um because it's not something that i'll get anywhere i feel like most other genres even if they do talk about nihilism they try and soothe it they try and like offer a counter to it and french extremity is just like no (laughs) and everything's trash (laughs) um so that about wraps everything up for our third episode of the harper's podcast i'm so glad to have you here ellie it was such a good time talking to you about all this new stuff and I really hope forward, uh, I look forward to having you on again, hopefully. Um, tell everyone where they can find you online. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I was very glad when you reached out. Uh, I love Horror Press and all the content that you guys put out. It's so refreshing to see just a bunch of different voices and horror nerds talking about uh, the stuff that we love. Um, so yeah, you can find me at, uh, on Instagram at bad critic with like a little underscore at the end. And I'm on Twitter sometimes too, depending on, you know, how I feel with dealing about Twitter. Um, but, uh, I'm right now on my page, I'm oscillating between some Oscar movie coverage stuff and some horror stuff because Oscars can be boring. Um, and I think, uh, the, depending on when you tune into this episode, I've got a post about uh, the 2008 Canadian horror classic Pontypool coming out. So look forward to that. Yeah, and make sure to give her a follow. So that wraps up our show. It's been a nightmare. Don't be afraid to reach out and let us know what you think on social media. And be sure to leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Press LLC, as well as on TikTok at Press. We look forward to seeing you in two weeks for the next episode of the Horror Press Podcast.